since January, we've been moving our way through the Bible. Um, last week, we covered the book of Ezra. Um, this week, we're in Nehemiah. Now, in the Jewish Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book, one literary unit. And so as we look at authorship, uh, it's easy to recognize from writing styles and word usage that Ezra and Nehemiah have a, a common, at the very least, editor. There's a lot of similarities and a lot of, uh, lot of things that are together. Um, the author who wrote Nehemiah uh, also wrote portions of Ezra. Now, Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem 13 years after Ezra did. So, remember, if we, if we look at our timeline, in 516 B.C., the temple was rebuilt. In 558, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem. And then in 445, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. The theme of Nehemiah is that the Lord protects his people and that we need to be faithful in worship and in keeping the law. Last week as we looked at Ezra, Ezra was very focused on worship and how worship is to be conducted and how our obedience to God flows out of our worship. Here in Nehemiah, we see um, a lot of the same ideas. Um, the key themes that we see is that the Lord hears our prayers. Uh, in 1, 4 through 6, we see uh, Nehemiah opening up in prayer. And, and Nehemiah, when he heard about how things were going in Jerusalem, we read, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel. And then God answered that prayer. But you see that Nehemiah prays that things would happen and then he goes and does things. That this is the, book, the whole book of Nehemiah is a great example of how David prayed for the walls of Jerusalem to be strengthened and then hired a work crew. I pray that my children would be godly children and then I teach them. There's always a balance in the Bible between our prayers. We pray as if we could do nothing and then we go to work. And Nehemiah, more than probably any book of the Bible, shows that balance so that there's this kind of theme throughout the book of Nehemiah of a trowel in one hand to work and a sword in the other. And so, uh, in fact, Charles Spurgeon's uh, weekly newsletter that he put out was called The Sword and the Trowel, and it came from the book of Nehemiah. Um, we see that the Lord works providentially, that it seems like bad things are happening Plans are falling apart, and then God, in his providence and in his oversight, uses those to complete his task. One of the things that we as believers, I think, are learning more today in the light of the COVIDs and the, everything that's going on is we have got to rest in the sovereignty of God. We are not in control. He is, and that's okay. Um, if you are a person who rides in the car and you're constant, uh, I won't say who because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but um, there's a particular person that whenever I go anywhere with them, 
uh, she turns her GPS on to make sure that I'm going the right way. And so I'll hear my GPS say, turn right ahead. And then I'll hear her GPS from the back seat go, turn right ahead. And if my GPS and her GPS, because she has an Android phone and I have an Apple phone, disagree, and sometimes they do, we have to have an argument then about which way we're supposed to go. And I always say, Mom, I'm going to do what the nice British lady tells me to do, and we're going to get there. And you can do that. When you're going on a trip, you can either, you can be stressed the whole time, you can be helping drive, or you can take a nap. We, uh, when we went on, I took a bunch of the junior high kids on a hike. Uh, we went up to Sipsy Wilderness, and we put in uh, that day about 10 o'clock, and then we hiked all day, and then set up camp that night, and then finished our hike and came around and came to the vehicle, and I, I, got, I was really tickled because one particular kid who talked the entire time, um, to the point that when, when we're trying to go to sleep in the tents, because the tents were close to each other and, and it's just a tent wall, uh, he's continuing to talk, and I'm just, shut up, I'm trying to sleep, to the point that I finally said, will you please shut up, I'm trying to sleep. Um, we got in the car and literally we're not out of the parking lot from the parking area of Sipsy Wilderness, and he is like lolled over and did not come to, we made a, a stop uh, and did not, he didn't wake up. He got mad when he finally did wake up when we came in because he was hungry because his brother had gotten something to eat and didn't get him anything because he was asleep. Um, you can either go on a ride one way or the other. That choice is yours. A lot of people ride around telling God, don't forget to turn left up ahead. Or you can take a nap. You can rest in the fact that God knows where he's going. You don't have to. And so the providence of God working through the circumstances around is seen uh, unbelievably clearly in the book of Nehemiah. We see uh, the Lord protecting his people so that we don't have to be afraid. We see the Lord merciful and faithful to his promises. We've said this as we looked at Ezra. We said this over and over last week. God does what he said he would do. We see uh, that the one thing that we need to be in constant observation and, and, and paying attention to is our own morality. I think where we often go off the rails is we take the warnings in the Bible to inspect our own fruit and try to use it to inspect other people's. Throughout the Bible, we're told, in fact, the major theme of the book of Hebrews is guard your heart, watch your heart. If anything's going to destroy you, it's you. Your worst enemy is you. I saw a meme a few weeks ago where uh, it was a guy looking in the mirror and he was like, that's the guy that spent all my money uh, and messed me up. And he's looking in, in the mirror. We're our own worst enemy. Now, one of my favorite parts of the book of Nehemiah and Ezra together is a compare and contrast between their leadership styles. Okay, if we're honest with, with each other, we all think that the world would be a much better place if everybody would just do things the way I want it done. And especially in today's political climate, we have a tendency to look at people who don't think like us, act like us, smell like us, taste like us, and think that those people are uh, wrong or they're failures, or they're, they don't care about other people. And you, we see in these two parallel stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, two very different people. Ezra is a Levite. We see opened up, it traces his lineage all the way back to Levi, 
So he, he's a Levite. He's a priest. He is a natural leader. We see throughout the book of Ezra several times where the people come to him to deal with the issue. Nehemiah is also a natural leader. He is, a, he is beyond a take charge kind of guy. And we'll see that here in a second. Nehemiah is that person who probably makes everybody in the room mad but can get it done. Um. And so God presents both of them as people who were successful in serving him. Completely contradictory leadership styles. Completely contradictory in the way they went about doing everything. The only thing that they're doing the same is that both of them are prayer warriors. Both of them take their issues to God. We saw Nehemiah, when he finds out about what's going on in Jerusalem, he doesn't come up with a plan right away. What does he do? He falls on his face and he fasts. Prayer is the only thing that they do the same way. So what this tells me is, is that God made you the way he made you for a reason. The gifts that God's given you, he's given to you. C.S. Lewis writes, and he says that, I think it. Uh, very obvious that God loves diversity in the kingdom, diversity being different types of people, because he made souls so very different. God could have made all of us the same. He could have made us to where our natural dispositions and the way that we went about things was exactly the same, but he didn't. And one of the great ironies of Christianity is, is that as we are conformed to the image of Christ, it doesn't turn us into robots or automatrons. It makes us the best you you can be. It doesn't seem like that's the logical way for it to happen, but it's definitely the truth. So let's look at Ezra and Nehemiah, how they dealt with things. So when it came to when both of them... When Ezra found out, when Nehemiah found out what was going on in Jerusalem, they both decided that they were going to go to Jerusalem, their journey to Jerusalem. Ezra starts out this way. Then in Ezra chapter 8, it says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. Okay, so Ezra recognizes that he's got to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. That's a long journey. That's a journey that is would be uh, absolutely overwhelmed with robbers and bad guys on the way that could mess everything up. And so Ezra says, I don't want to go to the king and ask this secular lost king to help me. If we're saying that God's going to protect us, then God will protect us. So he fasted. He actually came up with a plan where he divided the vessels from the temple, the precious items from the temple that the king had given back to Ezra to take back to the temple. He divided them up amongst people so that a third of them were over here and a third of them were going this route and a third of them would go this way in case there were robbers. One robber wasn't going to get all the temple stuff. So that was Ezra's plan. Nehemiah? <laughs> Nehemiah says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. 
So Nehemiah did the exact opposite. When Nehemiah decided he was going to go, Nehemiah went to the king and said, hey, I need some dudes, I need some guards. If you could give me a couple of cops to go with me and some, some horsemen. So there's no. So Ezra divides stuff up. He comes up with this really particular plan. Nehemiah cuts to the chase. Nope, I need some guards. That's the way they dealt with that. Identification of their mission. Ezra, in Ezra chapter 8, it says, I gathered to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. I reviewed the people and the priest, and I found none of the sons of Levi. So I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Sheminah, Elnathan, Jerib, Elnathan, uh, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leading men. And I told them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants of the, of the place, Kashipah, namely to send us ministers for the house of God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mahli, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sheberah and his son and kinsmen, also Hashabiah, and with him Jeshua of, I, I didn't mean this to be my practicing my Hebrew, uh, Merarah and his kinsmen son, 20 besides 220 of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend to the Levites. They were all mentioned by name. So Ezra has a mission. What he does is he puts together a consensus. He gets people from Levites. He gets all the, it said, all the leading men. He got all these people together. They sat around and came up with a plan. They decided the way that they were going to do it. Everything that Ezra does, he always is surrounded by people. When they read the law for the first time, it says that, that Ezra calls 18 different men to stand with him. And they, standing together in this group, taught the law to the people. Everything that Ezra did, he did with a group. He fought for consensus. He fought to make sure that everybody had buy-in in the plan, that everybody was working with him. He made sure to have younger men with him so that he could be teaching them, bringing them up. Ezra was all about working in a team. Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 2, I rose in the night, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Israel. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night to the valley of the gate of the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I expected the wall, and inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went to the fountain gate in the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who, who were there to do the work. So I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah does not consult anybody. He goes out in the middle of the night, looks at the problem, sees what's going on, comes up with a plan, tells everybody what they're going to do. Nehemiah was not somebody that built consensus. He didn't care if you liked his plan or not. In fact, we read where when he came up with a plan to deal with people working on the Sabbath, um, this is the way that he dealt with it. He said, I, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing heaps of grain which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of good and sold them on the Sabbath. So I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you're doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? Did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? And now you're bringing on more wrath by profaning the Sabbath. So as soon as it began to grow dark, 
the day before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gate so that nothing could be brought in on the Sabbath. And when the merchants and sellers of all kinds lodged outside of Jerusalem, I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the walls? If you do so again, I'm going to lay hands on you. That's the quote. I will lay hands on you. And from that time on, they did not come to the Sabbath. Do you get the scene? He had his friends unilaterally, he said, shut the gates. And so all the guys who were used to coming into Jerusalem selling stuff are hanging outside of the gate. He goes, hey, what are you doing here? Well, we're going in to sell like we do every Sabbath. Let me tell you what you're about to do. You're going to turn around and go home. And if you come back, I'm going to lay hands on you. Do you understand me? Yes, we got it. Are you sure you understand me? Because if you come back, I'm going to break you in half and then whoop him with the two halves. And they said, yes, sir, and they eased off. Do you see the difference? Ezra here is like, okay, let's come up with a team. Let's come up with a plan. Nehemiah ain't coming up with no plans. Final thing that we see is when they both are confronted with sin. Last week, we talked about how Ezra found out that the people of Jerusalem had intermarried. If you look at last week's video, we, I, I, I tried to explain that what we're not talking about here is that men were taking other wives as much as it was that men were leaving the wives of their youth and getting them a young honey. They're profaning the name of Israel. They're profaning God. They're cashing in their 40 for 220s. And God's saying, that's evil. Put these wives away. Now, God is calling them wives because that relationship that's going on there is sacred, and they had profaned it and was treating it very, like it was no big deal. So Ezra finds out about this promise and says, As soon as I heard this, I tore my garments and my cloak, pulled the hair from my head and beard, and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exile gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. So Ezra finds out that this is going on, and he's just horrified. Here this man is who's been trained from his youth as a priest of God, realizes that it was through foreign wives that the enemy had led Israel away from their God before, and here they're no sooner back in town than these guys are running around doing things they ain't supposed to do. He drops to his, uh, sat on the ground, tore his hair out, tore his clothes, and wept. Now he did. Through leadership, he not only commanded them to put those foreign wives away, he made sure that it happened, and he lists out by name in the book of Ezra everybody who had gotten a foreign wife. So even today, we can read who those guys were who were acting the fool. I think you're going to know how Nehemiah is going to deal with this. Nehemiah, in those days, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashad, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashad, and they could not even speak the language of Judah, but only the language of their own people. I confronted them, cursed them, beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters or for your sons or for yourself. I love this. Ezra pulls out his hair. Nehemiah pulls out their hair. Ezra weeps and throws ashes. Nehemiah whoops them and with his boot on their neck says, You're taking an oath with me that you're not going to take any more foreign wives. Yes, sir, I think I am. Now, 
As we compare and contrast these two leadership styles, we see God using both men. We see them working together when the law is read before the people. We see God blessing both of their ministries. Two very different people in the way that they did things, the way that they looked at things, the way that they responded to things. And yet God could use both of them. So we need to be careful that we don't look at someone else who's very different from us and say, well, he's doing it wrong. Now, I'm not saying that we let people run in sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that there are very different people in this world and God can use them. I know uh, some, it just in being around some teenagers, I, I see it in huge ways where you'll see some kids who are very, very laid back, they just don't care, whatever. And then some people who are, oh my gosh, it's got to be this way, or they worry about it. God can use both people as they allow themselves to be used. Okay. As you look at the outline, I'll just leave that there for you. I think that by going through the compare and contrast, we've seen uh, a, a good outline of what's going on. The main thrust of the book of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah comes in, identifies that there's no wall around Jerusalem, that there are people who've been, who don't want there to be a wall in Jerusalem because it doesn't suit their needs, and Nehemiah pushes this through with a sword in one hand so that he could defend the wall and a trowel in the other to build the wall. And we see an example in Nehemiah of someone who prayed as if God alone was doing it and worked as if he alone was the one responsible. He dealt with problems in the community. He dealt with making sure that the law is being fulfilled. Now, all of this is happening with the backdrop of the uh, uh, Persian Empire during Nehemiah and Ezra's time. The next few weeks, as we look in at uh, Esther, um, we will, that's also in that same backdrop of the children of Israel being in the land. Um, we're going to have a short break from that as we look at Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then we'll be coming back to that as we look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk. Um, and so we, we are um, going to continue through the Old Testament. My hope is to finish it up by February and then drop into the New Testament, and I, I hope that this book-by-book book study is you're, you're getting an idea of how the pieces fit together. So, uh, Father God, Lord, I pray your blessing over this study, and I pray that you would help us to see uh, how you use different people to build your kingdom. Lord, help us to be more gracious to those who are different than us. And Lord, help us to um, be people who are usable. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.